All right, but we're not live yet. I'm gonna go on this group. I like to talk out loud what I'm doing. You feel like you have to just to keep everybody else up to date on what's happening. I, I do, I do. Well, you know, it's part of being an ENFP, right? You process aloud. I know you love Myers-Briggs. You know, but introversion and extroversion flip uh, in, in, in a digital format. Uh, do they? Yes, that's true, that's true. Because right. you're not creating the instant feedback loop. Now, video is a little bit different. Right. Um, but. but there is research to show that introverts are more likely to engage on social media much more regularly than extroverts. Yep, yep. Well, because there's, there's the editing, the uh, ability to, to pause and think about what you want to say before you have to actually respond to a lot of other things. Uh, yeah, that's why I don't like it. I don't like to think in advance. I just like to talk. Yeah, and so... All right, you guys ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. Welcome to the church podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I am your co-host, Chris Wesley, joined by John Ronaldo, and we are live on the YM Transfer Facebook page, but we are live with the church podcast. John, how are you doing today? I am much warmer than you all on the East Coast right now. I was there just yesterday and I was like, dude, it's freaking cold. I'm out of here. So I left and came back to Vegas where the temperature is 73 degrees. So I'm a happy, happy camper right now. Yeah. So uh, for our listeners, John came all the way out to Maryland um, to do a consulting gig and didn't bother to say <laughs> hello. Um, well, no, you know what? He sent me a text message wishing me a happy birthday on his way out of Maryland. So um John, thanks. I've always uh, wanted to know how we relate, and I guess I'm that relative that people keep in touch with, but don't necessarily want to see when they're in town. So uh, thanks. I appreciate that. But I was thinking of you, so you have to give me credit for that. No, 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 no credit <laughs> for that. So uh, anyway, <laughs> um, we are excited because not only are we live for this episode, and we've been doing a couple of those, uh, but we have our first live guest and uh, you know what? I'm, I'm actually kind of like, um, I'm not nervous about this. I'm, I'm more excited because our guest, if he, I, I mean, he's no stranger to uh, the uh, podcast world or uh, Facebook world or media world. Uh, Tony Vicinda, uh, not that you can say something that would be um, controversial, um, but uh, what might come out of your mouth might just send people uh, for a loop or uh, just uh, in a totally different direction. And I'm totally trying to save this intro, uh, but it's live, so I can't. Uh, but anyway, uh, with us. Like, where is this going? Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is like an awkward first date with somebody who you feel like has gotten a whole lot more dates than you have. That's what Now we know why John doesn't visit me when he comes to Maryland. <laughs> Because it's a little awkward. <laughs> all right, all right, easy there, John. Uh, but anyway, with me is the wonderful, the man of many gifts and talents, uh, Tony Vicinda. Tony, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing good. Um, I'd like to pretend I didn't just like roll out of bed. I've been awake for like three or four hours, but my wife doesn't get up early in the morning, so I'll just stay in bed and read some days. And so that was that was today. Um, I, this was not what I should have done. I should have gotten up and gotten some other work done, but it was, uh, it was good. Just kind of relaxed morning time. I got up and our kids didn't, hadn't argued with each other. They were mostly done with schoolwork because they're all homeschooling right now. And then I crawled down into my 
deep dark cave of a basement where uh, that I'm slowly transforming into like my my workspace and my studio um, and uh, and ready to talk to you guys. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, we have a couple of people joining us live. And uh, uh, if you are watching us live and you want to share some comments or questions, uh, whether that's for John or myself or for Tony, uh, feel free to leave them in the comments. Uh, one of the reasons we like doing the live show is because we want to talk about some of the things you guys want to talk about. And again, what I guess I was trying to say before with someone like Tony, um, bring your questions because uh, not only is he doing a variety of many wonderful things. He's got uh, such a, a rich background in church ministry and not just youth ministry. So uh, Tony is uh, definitely a fountain of wisdom uh, that you should tap into. So I've never, um, I've never let not knowing an answer keep me from having a response to a question. There you go. There you go. Definitely. Awesome. So um, Tony, uh, some people might know you from Project YM. Some people might know you from Catholic Beard Bomb. Uh, uh, but you are currently working on a new project. Uh, and I, I don't know if working on a new project is the right way to, to categorize it, but you've gone through a huge life change and career change um, to the point where you left the West Coast and now are on the East Coast. Uh, why don't you tell uh, people what you are currently doing, what you and your family are currently doing and where you're doing it? Yeah, so um, I would say the the coastal shift was big. Uh, the biggest thing is a context shift, which we maybe unpack uh, that kind of kind of a little bit analogously and a little bit um, b by which I mean we can talk about it as an analogy. I, I apologize. <laughs> uh, and uh, big so, words, big words. I, I know it's like one of Chris's questions to me the last time I was on a show was it was like, how do you use so many big words all the time? And I was like. <laughs> So we um, we just recently stepped back from anything day to day at Project YM. I stepped away from parish ministry where I had worked in some capacity for the last 20 years. Um, and we just stepped into a an actual missionary mode. So we moved our family from Seattle, Washington to Philadelphia, PA um, to kind of change the mode in which we were living. Uh, the concept being for the work we're doing now that if God said, hey, um, the two most important things you can do, the two most important commandments are to love the Lord your God um, with all your mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is really like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. What if we took those that seriously? Like, what if, what if people were devoted to actually doing just that thing? And so um, we picked up, uh, I stepped back from a phenomenal parish, phenomenal role, um, stepped back from day to day at Project YM and moved Catholic Bomb Co. across the country. And we started a project called House of Broken Loaves, which literally is our family um, working on how we actually live that out. How do we just love God and let that love overflow and form and nurture our family? And then how does that become a force for good and transformation in the lives of our neighbors? Um, how do we love them in a way that's detached from conversion and just focused on really uh, what what we define as love and that being um, the highest good of the other. And though in the church we might we might understand conversion or transformation as being a part of that, that we as individuals are not attached to that as an end. Like we know that that's God's work, the transformation of the heart, and that our call that he has placed on uh, on our heart and given to the church is to love our neighbors and love the community around us. And so in a lot of ways, it's taking the things that we know we should be doing as a parish for our community, um, for the geographic region that we serve, 
and but we oftentimes are not doing and just doing that in a neighborhood so table fellowship serving our neighbors caring for our neighbors sharing life with them talking to them about our experiences of god and faith listening uh more importantly than just talking though receiving them deeply um and and falling in love with them in a way that allows god to operate uh through all that um i am what 95 percent of people would define as charismatic though i wouldn't use that term to define myself uh, my wife is a hundred percent not not charismatic and is all sort of weirded out by that kind of stuff. And our kids fall somewhere beautifully in the middle, uh, oftentimes. And so there's a lot of a lot of conversations around how we're praying for, interceding for our neighbors, um, and other stuff like that. So that's kind of what we're we're really focused on right now. But it's it's really just in the initial piloting, getting started. Like our kids are sleeping on mattresses on the floor. Um, they're brand new, very nice, highly rated Amazon mattresses. They are very satisfied with <laughs> them. Uh, but we haven't even gotten like furniture. We, we left a lot of stuff behind when we moved over here and are just kind of resetting up a new life on this side of the world. That's so cool. Um, it, can you take us back to maybe what that conversation looked like with your family? I mean, obviously um, you and your wife uh, spoke about it, but this seems like it's an all in like, you know, kids have to be in, everyone has to be in. So like, what did that look like uh, as you guys were discerning and making this decision to, to move, just move your entire family out East? Yeah, there's a couple things. So one part of it was like mm -hmm. invitational. Like there was a guy, San Antonio Hill, who works for the office of youth ministry called Anthem here in Philadelphia, who I met at an event and like, we're just swapping life stories, talking about how Christ had worked in our, was working in our lives, um, our stories of personal transformation, you know, all those things Catholics normally do when they hang out with each other. Right. Uh, and uh, we, uh, and he was like, you should move to Philly. And I laughed in his face. And then I went to a workshop with like Megan and Jacob, who also help run the Anthem office and just got to hear the spiritual core of their ministry. And during that time, there was like a surge of my heart for two things. One was to pray for Megan about something that she was going on with, which we did afterwards. It was a beautiful time. Uh, just kind of entering into community with this person I don't even know in this super direct way, uh, just praying with her and for her. And then the other one was like, spend more time with these people, work with these people, get to know these people, uh, because the heart for what they wanted for the young adults in Philly specifically, with like the, the, the revival of culture and the spiritual health they were looking for, for ministers was exactly what God consistently has put on my heart as a focus too. So um, I, I called my wife after that and was like, we should think about moving to Philly. Um, I didn't think she would want to. She didn't, didn't want to. Philly is where her sister lives. She's a twin. Um, so it was like high on the list of places she might go. But right. um, it was a lot of prayer and discernment. But within two weeks, it moved from an, an if we moved to Philly to a when we moved to Philly and just kind of initial prayer and conversations with God, um, both together. Uh, mostly independently, like we have a tendency more to like pray one-on-one -on -one and then come back and talk about it. Um, we do pray together, but it's not like we've we've never figured out in our marriage like how to make that work because we have such different prayer styles. Um, and so it's it's usually at night before bed, uh, pretty functional. And so deep discernment prayer is kind of on our own and then conversation. And so um, in her mind, it was like five years away. In my mind, it was in the next two years. Um, <laughs> You know, and then her sister got diagnosed with cancer. Um, I kept on looking for consolation and desolation professionally around like where God was calling me, um, which is a primary form of discernment that comes out of Ignatian spirituality. And then um, just kind of kept on getting consolation, consolation, consolation. I even got a little bit more direct revelation, which is way more rare. Um, and then um, finally got the desolation I needed about leaving my other job. Like that if I really loved that job, if I really loved that parish, 
all the things I was doing wasn't going to let that parish flourish and our family couldn't flourish with the cost of living in Seattle. Um, and so it just made sense to have that conversation with my pastor um, and start making the plan to, to move out here. Um, and we made that, that was last February. My sister-in-law, by the way, um, you can't say cancer-free for a long time, but the cancer is gone from her body. All of her numbers are Amen. low, like that tumor's gone. So like, um, just to not leave that detail hanging. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but uh, it's been really great to be near family, um, like to be five miles away from family. Uh, my brother-in-law has uh, five kids from a previous marriage. My sister-in-law has three kids from a previous relationship. And so they have a ton of kids in their house. We were all living together. There were like sometimes 17 of us in the house. Oh, wow. Three dogs and a cat uh, when we moved out here initially, but now we're in our own space. And uh, it's this beautiful neighborhood in the city, but it feels a lot like a suburb uh, because of just the way it's set up between a couple of rivers. Um, and it's it's where there's a ton of 20 to 30 year olds. So there's there's a number of places in Philadelphia that are kind of, cool urban areas. This is uh, Maniunk, Roxborough, Wissahickon area where we live. It's like three neighborhoods that are really close to each other. They, um, they are uh, basically where postgraduate um, like university students move. So people who are doing their masters, their PhD, or people who are done with college and are like, I don't know what I'm gonna do next. I'm gonna move to Maniunk because it's a cool place to be. Uh, and so there, that was a huge thing for us was wanting there to be a lot of young adults in the community. And so we're excited to be here also. That's great. So you, you've got, um, you know, an educated population. You talk about this, this idea of neighborhood ministry. Now, is this in the, you've mentioned Anthem ministry. Is, part, is that part of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia? Yeah, Anthem's, Anthem's what they call their Office okay. of Youth and Young Adult Ministry, because no one knows what an OYAE is or whatever other people want to call it. <laughs> yeah. uh, nobody knows, or knows what Anthem is either, but it's a way cooler sounding name than, uh, than uh, that. And so, Absolutely. Yeah, that's their Office of Youth and Young Adult Ministry. And they've got a very different focus than most other diocesan offices. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about that and kind of delve into a little bit more about how you are partnering with this Archdiocesan office when you talk about this idea of a neighborhood model of ministry. Yeah, so there, there's, a, there's a loose connection there. There's not a, like, we, we sometimes will say like, like Tony's basically Anthem Black Ops, like they can disavow me. They can say like, we really want this thing done. And I'll be like, okay. And then they can also disavow me if it doesn't go well. They can just be like, um, so I'm not formally part of the structure, but um, I love everybody on that team. I get to, to meet with them on a regular basis. I also work with the, the Office of New Evangelization here, um, not as closely, but, but closely too. Um, and again, all this is in pilot. We've been here for three months now. Um, you know, like we're still figuring all that out, but with their heart for adult ministry, you know, they're running alphas on a regular basis for the region. They're looking for people who are experienced with that, which um, I've run large scale alpha programs in, in the parish as well as home groups or things like that for alphas. So there's a conversation there. There's a conversation about how my background skill set can help support local youth ministers. So I'll go out and I'll do retreats, events, talks, coaching, other stuff like that, that they don't have time on their plate necessarily for outside of the, the specific strategic things that they're doing, which they're being very intentional about. Um, and you guys all know like strategic intentionality inherently means um, doing less better. And so there's certain things like monthly like youth ministers gatherings that they don't do that a lot of dioceses would would offer um, they're more focused on these sprints that are designed to help rejuvenate a youth minister spiritually like help them experience healing in their life evangelization um, and talk about discipleship but to receive that for them personally not 
to just say, how do you heal others? How do you evangelize others? How do you disciple others? But having the youth minister be the primary focus for that. It's a really beautiful process. It's really well designed um, that we've actually taken and used to do some gathered group events for different dioceses through Project YM around the country that have been pretty transformative for the people who have come out for those. Um, we've been in a conversation with them about doing a large national event that people would be able to come to as youth ministers to receive those same things uh, also too. But they do these anthem live events that the easiest way to express it in churchy terms is like it's kind of like an XLT but different. Um, so it's, uh, if you're not familiar with an XLT, it's a thing that grew out of the life teen movement, uh, but it's a period of adoration, worship music, and a talk. Um, they mix in a whole lot of intercessory prayer with that, uh, and they are incredibly gifted at running those, but they will go out and set these up. They're well-produced, absolutely beautiful nights um, that they do once a month for young adults, and then they follow that up with basically a like happy hour type event afterwards. And their big thing is like, if you're, if you're churched, if you're in, if you're bought into Jesus, like come to the whole thing, like come to the whole night. Uh, if you have friends who aren't church, like just bring them to the after party if you want to, like have them come hang out with us socially afterwards, have them get to know people uh, before you try to just get them to dive straight into it. That way they have a community of accompaniment from that second part of the night um, that they're using as a way to kind of reach um, disaffiliated young adults within the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, which, like people think about Seattle as a majorly unchurched area. And so some people are like, if you really wanted to reach people with the gospel, Seattle seems like a more strategically placed location than Philadelphia. But the Northwest and the Northeast are two different types of unchurched. Um, like they're completely different in the way that people think about being unchurched. In a lot of ways, Seattle, Portland are almost pre-Christian. Like they don't have a lot of the same spiritual baggage and hangups that a culture that was fully Christianized like the Northeast and then it's entered into decline has. And if you look at the uh, the Barna studies around the top disaffiliated like communities in the country where the nuns are on the rise, N-O-N-E-S, on the rise more than anywhere else, um, they're almost all within an hour and a half of Philadelphia. Philadelphia is like number 18 or 20 on that list. Uh, Seattle's number 12. But Seattle, again, has a very different reality. When I talk to atheists in Seattle or pagans in Seattle, they're they're not they don't have hang-ups that need to be healed they're just curious they're intellectually curious about what the church is like why we do certain prayer practices how that all works um and and what any of that signifies um but in the northeast they're angry which i think is just a general thing uh but also specifically at the church um central you know, had tons it, of crap happen go ahead yeah, you know, as, a, as someone from the Northeast, like, I, I can't deny that we we are very angry. In fact, though, there's comfort in that, um, you know, living just this south of the Mason-Dixon line in Baltimore, um, my wife and I are like, people are not snarky enough here in Maryland. Um, I know that uh, <clears throat> growing up in, in Jersey, you know, even people in New England say that we're not snarky enough for them. So the farther north you go, the yeah. snarkiness level definitely increases. Um, and uh, and if you don't believe me, uh, just you just keep on going north. There. Yeah, just keep going north <laughs> until, until you until you hit Canada, and then it it kind of like it just drops takes a step down. Yeah. Right. yeah. Does, does um, this uh, explain why the entire country dislikes the New England Patriots? I mean, is that the reason for that dislike? Uh, no, no, it's, <laughs> you know, like, oh, don't put me in a position. I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I hate when I'm put it in a position to defend New England sports teams, but uh, no, you, you know, Tony, like that's one of the reasons why I love what you're doing because you're in my like 
home area and I have so many family members uh, that fall into what you just described, right? Like, um, and friends, just a lot of hurt, um, a lot of healing. And, and sometimes, you know, for someone like you from the outside coming in, that's where the healing is going to take place because mm-hmm. you know how many times we love hearing advice from our own family members versus, right. uh, <laughs> versus like a complete stranger or someone who um, doesn't like, we don't have to worry about um, getting vulnerable with. Um, so that, that, that's just something that I absolutely love. And the partnership that you have with Anthem um, and with that diocese is, is key. Another thing that I heard that really struck me is you probably dropped the names of like four or five different resources or curriculums from alpha to XLTs to to things like that. Um, And and I think one of the reasons why we've developed a friendship is and and have in common is this curation of different resources, right? It's not like we're going to go all in on this one specific tool, but let's find the truth and good in these different tools and Mm -hmm. make that happen. When you're, when you're looking at resources, what are some of the things that really stick out to you that you're like, okay, there's a lot of good or um, uh, usefulness in this tool? Yeah, I mean, I think the two things, it's actually for me, like, what's in the middle is less important to me than what's on the front and what's in the back. So like, um, what's the curb appeal? Like when I come up, is this well produced? Is there is it evident that there is a thought behind the design of this? Is it is it beautifully laid out? And it doesn't have to be my aesthetic style. Like I have an aesthetic style of things that I like. Are there six styles that I, I don't prefer, but like, is there an intentional design behind this that shows these people actually have an intrinsic understanding that beauty and truth uh, should accompany each other? That actually does matter. Like my friend, Mark Guiney is like, you know, his, his big challenge back on a common piece of wisdom is he thinks you should judge books by their cover. Um, he knows that that doesn't apply to people, but from a book standpoint, he thinks it's totally applicable. Like if a book is beautifully designed, you want to pull it off the shelf and you want to read it. And so it doesn't matter how great the content is if the cover doesn't share something about what's actually uh, inside. And I think there's a lot for the church to learn in that also too. Um, so I do look at that. Like um, it's one of the reasons why um, like even if uh, Life Teen is not one of the top resources I will recommend to a parish today, not because I think Life Teen is bad. I think Life Teen is actually a phenomenal resource. Um, but one of the things I love about it is how well produced and how beautiful and how gorgeous everything is. I think it is great from an internal discipleship standpoint, but since I have such a focus on um, evangelization and bringing people in, lots of times that's not a resource that I, I look at as a go-to. Alpha that I mentioned also is. Um, so that's that's the, it's a thing that's designed for people who are on the periphery, who are asking questions. Um, and I love it because it's a short process. Uh, it's 10 weeks and then it's, hey, move on to something else. Like we don't have an alpha and then an alpha two and then an alpha three or an alpha and a beta and a gamma or any of those things. It's like we, alpha is first things, initial introduction to the faith. It's well-produced. It's beautiful. There's a high content. But then I said like front end and back end. The other thing is fruitfulness. Like what is the fruitfulness of a resource? Does it do the thing it says it's going to do? Um, and anytime somebody tells me about their cool, new, awesome, new, brand new, amazing new resource, my initial question is how do you know it works, right? Like mm-hmm. how do you know that this works? Um, because the reality is if it's beautiful and it's true, that's great. If it doesn't work, that's not good, right? And so it's not achieving the actual ends that it's meant to, to do. What's the point? And so I, I think that's one of the things we really have to look at more within the context of our ministry. Um, and we have to be really intentional about what we want that fruit to be. And so like for me, you mentioned, you know, curating a lot of tools. It, it can easily be thought of as a toolbox, right? Like if, if all you have is alpha 
then everything's going to be just evangelization and hospitality, which is great, but you're never going to take people deeper. You're never going to take people to the depths. You're not going to see people enter into discipleship. And that's not what that, the people who created that tool intended it to do. They intended it to be this entry point. Right. And so the old analogy being, if you, if, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, you've <laughs> got to have a wide variety of resources that do different things. So I love things like um, alpha into like a program like white disciple that eventually would lead young people into something like life teen. So I'm, I've got this kind of introductory point. That's correct. That, that does a great job of doing what it does. I can then introduce them into some basic conversations of the faith, get them into a small group and then use resources that come from places like life teen or other places um, to help continue to then usher them into actual ongoing discipleship. Um, the question is what happens when they get dumped out into college or into young adult life and there's nothing in the parish for them at all. That's a different conversation. Um, right. But and within, within that phase, it's a huge part of it. So um, I look at, is, are things beautiful? Um, and do they, do they do what they intend to do, um, are kind of the two major things that I look at to initially assess a resource. Um, but I looked at, I've looked at a lot of really great, phenomenal, ugly resources. Um, but if it also, but if it doesn't do what it's supposed to do at the end of the day, um, I'll pass like every single time. I really love what you're describing because you're, you're talking about a path. Uh, towards discipleship, right? And how do we, it's like an onboarding, right? For HR people, it's like, how do we onboard people? Well, it's the same idea in terms of discipleship and evangelization. How do we, how are we onboarding people? How are we moving people in that direction? You know, and that's kind of what Sherry Waddell talks about in Forming Intentional Disciples is that kind of that movement. And what you're describing is that different resources. I actually never thought about this until you said it, but it makes total sense. Different resources achieve different aims as part of that movement. You know, and, and you talk about Alpha and the Y Disciple and, and Life Team, for instance, is that movement. I think that's, that's a really phenomenal way of looking at things and, and something that I think I, I want to encourage parish and, and church leaders to think more about that movement because we, we buy into a program, right, Tony? We buy into right. a program and then we just go 100% into the program, but not knowing who our audience is or how it's serving that audience. When the reality is we don't need program, we probably need multiple programs depending on our audience or multiple resources depending on our audience. Right. Well, and it also, it also prevents the, the tool from becoming the thing itself, right? Like, which happens all the time. Um, and it, it prevents us from becoming a life teen parish or a CMD parish or a alpha parish or any of these other things. Like, like you're, you're a Catholic parish. Like you are actually functionally intended to be somewhat broad. Um, but the problem is we oftentimes take that to the max and we either, or we, 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 we tend to polarize. We either just dump so much stuff in the Catholic blender and hit, hit, you know, puree and hope that we pour out a good Catholic, or we just go all in on one thing. And it's like, why did you even blend this up? Like, I don't, I don't like, I don't like my spinach blended. Um, like I would have just rather eaten spinach, you know? Um, and so, which some people don't like spinach at all. Maybe it's a bad analogy. I like spinach, um, Me but too. I don't, I don't like it out of a blender. And so, yeah, yeah I think we, t we send we're, it to we're, we're, polarize. Yeah. We're a spinach friendly podcast here, but uh, yeah, we no are. Offense to anyone safe, who... safe space for spinach. <laughs> safe space yeah, for safe... spinach. Not blended spinach. <laughs> Not blended spinach. spinach. <laughs> no one likes pureed spinach. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I just think that's that's so that's so huge. And yeah, pathway to discipleship is one of the things that I'll I'll talk about on a regular basis when I go out to parishes okay. or dioceses to work with people and just kind of understanding and and. Uh, I, you know, a lot of it's borrowed from Andy Stanley's Simple Church, Tim Keller, some of the other, some of the other great uh, Protestant 
uh, preachers out there, because Protestants do discipleship processes better than Catholics do, of saying, you know, where do, how do you where do you take somebody from, who walks in the door has no idea what's going on? How do you get them from that front door? And Annalise Stanley talks about getting them into the kitchen, right? Like, and that's is their metaphor for intimacy, like from the front door to the kitchen, um, because the reality is you don't let people into your kitchen unless you're comfortable with them because your kitchen's a mess. It's where the cooking's happening. It's, it's one of the hearts of the household. Um, and so like, that's where work happens. And so usually if you invite people in, it's, you know, in doorway, entryway, living room, maybe dining room table, kitchen is a sign that you've stepped into being like part of my family and, and we're just comfortable with you seeing how everything's made. And so um, I think that's, I think it's so important and it should be like, like some people want to create like a 35 step, you know, pathway for discipleship. I'm a big fan of like, three to five steps, like three to five step major movements. How, how are we seeing people move through discipleship in our community? That should be a good articulation of the broad strokes. It's really con- like understandable by people. Um, and I don't even know that it's helpful to say all the time, this is the program we want to use, right? Um, so much as it is good to identify what are those movements like um, within a parish community, which again, like we're totally in the process of figuring that out right now for the household because parish has structure around it. People have buy into that. We're showing up and forcing ourselves into the life of our neighbors, um, whether, they, whether they want us to or not. And it's not a, it's not a Catholic uh, parish's mindset. And, it's, and we're not, we're not proselytizing. We're not like Bible beating. We're not like, no, we're coming into your house, whether you want us to or not, or you have to come over, but they, they didn't sign up for this, right? Mm-hmm. We just moved in next door to them. Yeah. And so that's a different understanding. Well, and I think that's huge because we're talking about building neighborhood communities, neighborhood church, right? That the reality is most Catholic churches by definition, are mega churches, meaning we're so big that you can go to church and no one would know who you are or even say hi to you at mass. And then you can come and go as you please and no one knows. But one of the challenges is how do we, how do we break that down and actually build community, which is, can be sometimes difficult to do during the Sunday experience. Now, what you're doing, and correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm hearing though is that what you're trying to do is build community outside church property but in the context of, of a kind of a, a, a Catholic ministry setting, but it's, it's, it's doing life together, right? It's not, yeah. you know, it's not, you know, here's what the Catholic church teaches, but let's do life together. And oh, by the way, the more we do life together, the more we get into conversations around whatever, faith, spirituality, relationships, intimacy, all those types of things. All right. Sorry about the abrupt interruption, uh, but the conversation with Tony just kept going in a good way, on and on. And it was over an hour that we spoke to him live on the YM Transfer Facebook page. So uh, if you want to catch the interview in one full swoop, uh, go to the YM Transfer Facebook page um, and uh, you can catch it there. If not, you're going to have to wait for the second half of this interview in the next episode of the, of the Church Podcast. Um, and there we talk a little bit more with Tony about his community and things that he is doing. Uh, you do not want to miss it. Uh, but if you have questions, uh, definitely reach out to us. Uh, you can go to thechurchpodcast.org or leave us questions by emailing us at questions at thechurchpodcast.org. You can also reach out to John and I directly uh, through social media, or you can find John at theparishsuccessgroup.com or me at marathonyouthministry.com. Of course, we would love if you left a five-star review on iTunes um, and shared this with your friends because the more you share this, the more we can help churches do ministry better. Uh, But thank you guys again for all that you do, and we'll see you next time on The Church Podcast.